All right. Good evening, everybody. So we're at a point in Exodus. We're going to start Exodus 34. And so we decided that what would be good to do coming to the new year, 34 is kind of like a new chapter within it where God reveals himself. God, for the first time, gives a sermon on his own self. It's the only place where God gives a sermon on his own self. And so we decided that what we're going to do is do a review of where we've been, catch us up for where we've been. So tonight is going to be a review of the entire book of Genesis. So you're going to have to get out your Bibles. You're going to have to follow along with me. We're going to see where we've been. And then uh, next Sunday is Fellowship Sunday, so there's no evening service. The 11th is a special that John is going to do, so I won't, I won't be here. And then the 18th is going to be a review of Exodus chapter 1 to 33. And then in the new year, we'll begin Exodus chapter 34. At least that's the plan, unless Jesus returns, which is by far more preferable <laughs> than anything else. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read a scripture that is actually not in Genesis at all. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4. Let me turn to it myself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, whether it's review, whether it's an in-depth study, it's your word. It has power. It has life. And we ask, Lord God, that we would be encouraged by the scriptures tonight. That we will see that you really are, as the book of Hebrews tells us, you are the God of the ages. You are the God who creates history. You are the God who has a plan and a purpose for his church, for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray if we're discouraged tonight, that we would be encouraged. That you are the God who is working. That you are indeed the God who sees and provides beforehand for his people. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, passage that we would reverse that we're probably familiar with. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragements of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we go to the book of Genesis, I would encourage you to follow along in a paper Bible. Everything will be on the screen, of course. But the book of Genesis begins with the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Remember when we started that, I mean, what is that, two years ago now? Right? Close to two years, maybe. Two years. That God was not created. God was. God is the self-existent one. God is life. Yahweh, the self-existent one. Everything comes from him. As we even learned in Sunday school this morning again in Colossians, all things were made through him, uh, by him, and for him. Uh, the Bible tells us that without him, nothing was made that has been made. God was. To not believe the truth that God created the world is to not believe anything else in the Bible. It is not logically possible to believe in the death and resurrection of a person and yet reject the fact that God spoke and created the world. Remember that God created the world on day one. He created light on day two, sky. On day three, land and vegetation. On day four, the sun and the moon. On day five, fish and birds. And the great day... Day six, in which God created animals and man. How often do we think that God created man on a separate day? No. Dogs 
Dogs and man were created at the same time. Deer and man were created at the same time. Two of, two of my favorite animals, uh, of course. Remember what God said. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's just stop there for a second. How pertinent is that today? Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in it, with it seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. If you remember, we saw that God gave here the covenant of works to man. That Adam was to have rule over the earth and to care for it. On day seven, it says that God rested. Remember, God doesn't actually rest. God can't rest. It's impossible for God to rest. What God stopped was the creative work and continue his maintaining work. But remember that even in Exodus, that the day that God rests comes back prominently concerning the Sabbath days. It's based on the fact that God rests. That there was a day in which God devoted to rest. We are to devote ourselves to the Lord's day, a day of resting and of focusing on the Lord. We saw in Genesis the fall of man. And this is where history goes from man's perspective really bad. From God's perspective, things are going according to plan. Remember, God made Adam and Eve. He put them in an incredible place, in a garden, something that was beyond anything that we could imagine. I, I, I've, uh, I've never been to a, a, a lush tropical island. I've been to St. Martin, but when I went there, a hurricane had already come through, so it was like level. Um, <clears throat> But we see those pictures of the incredible waterfall, the sea that is crystal blue and, and green, and you know, parrots flying around, and it just looks like you know heaven on earth. Those pictures, I'm sure, don't even compare to what Eden was like. And it says this in Genesis chapter 2: And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God put an incredible guard. He had two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, eat of the tree of life, don't eat of this tree. One rule. One rule. One single rule. And we know the story, because in 3, it says that when Satan came and he tempted the woman, when he tempted Eve, and it says, so, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, what does John remind us? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And as she saw and that the tree was to be desired to make one wife, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave to some to her husband who was with her. And we saw how Adam 
failed to protect the garden and to protect his wife. And it's when Adam ate of the apple, when Adam disobeyed God, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When it seemed that paradise was lost, there was the promise of restoration. Verse 8 of chapter 3, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What a futile task. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? We don't know what went through Adam's mind. We know from having the scriptures, but God said the day you did was going to die. Is God coming now to execute me? But we know from having the completed scripture that those were words of redemption. Where are you, Adam? Let's go. Let's have a conversation. Things have gone wrong, Adam. They've gone really bad. There's consequences to say, Adam. But we, we can work it out. And God promises, not to Adam, but promises to the one who deceived Eve. Promises to the one who brought death. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here is, if you remember, the proto-euangelion, the first good news. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise of redemption. The verse of which I would believe and I would tell you and I have told you, this is how you view all of Scripture. Through the lens of Genesis 3.15, read and understand your Bible. Meditate on your Bible through the lens of Genesis 3.15. That God is going to crush Satan. What did Paul tell the church in Rome when they were suffering persecution? Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so God makes a promise. There's going to be a redeemer. Yes, Adam died spiritually. Fellowship was broken with God. But God made a promise to Satan that out of Eve and Adam would come a promised seed. And then we have the birth of Cain and Abel. And we know the story. How they went to give their sacrifices. And God looked favorably on Abel's and not on Cain's. And the Lord said to Cain in Genesis 4, 6, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. We know that God speaking to Cain, he rejected what God says, and he rose up in the field and he killed his brother Abel, who was the promised seed. When it seemed lost, the promised seed is over. God gives to Adam and Eve another son. His name is Seth. And if you remember, we've got to go back in Genesis 4, 26, to Seth also was born, a son was born, and his name was called Enosh. 
And here's the, here's the problem. Here's where God steps in. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Or, anybody remember more correctly? To be called by the name of the Lord. They were called God's people. God's promise is coming true. God is going to have a promised seed. And the world goes on, and things are wicked and evil, and a man is born, Noah, one righteous man, one way of salvation. He was born to that guy, Lamech, who said, hey, if, if Cain is going to be vengeance, then I'm going to be. And Lamech uh, uh, boasted about how he was a murderer. But it tells us in Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years. Imagine living 182 years. Holy mackerel. He fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Well, they were going to have relief from their work and the toil of their hands. It was just going to be in death. Remember what God said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every thought, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sounds like we're living in today, doesn't it? Remember what did Jesus say? It was as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days before the Son of Man comes. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Remember, God doesn't regret. God doesn't live in regret. God was sad. God didn't make a mistake. He wished it didn't go this way. He wished he didn't have to do what he was going to do, but he's a God of justice. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor of grace in the eyes of the Lord. God says, now I'm going to step in. I'm going to destroy everybody because they deserve it. Well, if God destroyed everybody, what happened to his promise of Genesis 3.15? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah becomes the promised seed. And there's a new beginning. And we know that Noah went through all, he built the ark for what, 120 years, him and his kids, and everybody's laughing and making fun of him, and things are getting worse. And then all of a sudden, God said, hey, get the animals. Get them in, two by two and seven by clean, and get them in. They're going to come into the ark, and they came into the ark, and it says that God shut the door. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And out of the earth burst forth springs of water also. It was the greatest cataclysmic event the earth has ever seen. And God destroyed all living creatures except those in the ark. And Peter tells us that God saved humanity through one man. And Jesus is a picture of Noah. Noah is a picture of Jesus, I should say. And God makes a new covenant, a new beginning. In Genesis 9, beginning in 8, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. <clears throat> as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. 
And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Every time you see a rainbow of which the world has perverted, remind yourself that God made a covenant, the covenant of life. And so man begins to multiply. They begin to uh, increase in number. And God said that they were to go and spread throughout all the earth. But they didn't listen. And so they built a tower that's going to reach to heaven. They said, we're going to reach up to heaven. We're going to build a tower that's going to reach to God. And of course, God comes down. And God says, you're going to obey what I said. You're going to do exactly what I said. And so what did God do? Look at what it says in Genesis 11, verses 8 and 9. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, of all the earth, and they left building off the city. What, how did God do it? God confused their language. They all spoke one language. God confused them. Now we're going to speak different languages now. So they could not converse with one another, and they did exactly what God told them to do. Therefore the name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. See, God is sovereign. Men will obey the Lord. Whether by force or by free will. And life goes on. People are going about doing their normal activities. And then one man is born and he grows up and he lives. And God visited one man. A man called Abram. And God speaks of this man, from what we know, a pagan man, who knew multiple gods probably, or thought there were multiple gods. But out of all of these gods, one voice breaks through, the true living God. And it says this in Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, God said, Abraham, Get up, leave, and when you get where you're supposed to be, I'll let you know. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be rescued. You go on in uh, Genesis chapter 13. Let me turn in my Bibles to follow along so I don't have to follow it. Remember, Lot has come. His nephew has come with him. And they separate. Lot takes the, the, the greener pastures by Sodom and Gomorrah. What a mistake. Abraham goes and he rescues Lot. And as he <clears throat> rescues Lot and he comes back, he's met by Melchizedek, the prince of Salem, the king of peace. And he figures prominently in the book of Hebrews. And of course, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And it says this in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 and 20. After his return from the defeat of uh, <coughs> Chaldalamor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbat, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, 
possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So God reaffirmed to Abraham his blessing upon him. And then we see the God of covenant. That after these things, God makes a covenant with Abraham. The very covenant of which the prophets refer to. The covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know the story. God tells them, I am your very great reward. And Abraham says, God, but what are you going to give me? I have no kids. My wife can't move. I'm old. We can't get pregnant. We're not having kids. What do you mean you're going to make me a great nation? And he says, look at the stars and all of those things. If you can number the stars, that's how many descendants you'll have. Of course, an impossible task. And God told him to go get a heifer and a goat and some birds and split them in half. We're going to make a covenant. If you remember the time of the covenant, both parties would walk through those pieces of which would be laid side across from each other. They'd be split from nose to tail and the blood would run down and each party would walk through the blood and essentially say, may this be done to me if I fail to keep the covenant. And it says that God calls Abraham, listen to what it says in Genesis 15, 12. This is such an important passage in the history of redemption. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, the dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Well, no wonder God was about to appear. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be inflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, God shows up. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. On that day, listen, The Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Not that the Lord and Abraham made a covenant. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham. R.C. Sproul says that if he was ever to be put in prison or in a place without the Bible, that if he had to have one book, it would be the Bible. If they were to have one book of the Bible for the rest of life, it would be the book of Hebrews. But if he were to be given one verse... It would be Genesis 15, 17. Because it's the covenant explained. God does the work. God says, I am going to fulfill all terms of the covenant for you and for me. Matter of fact, you don't have to worry about me and my part. I'm covering your part. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Catamites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Though I didn't go over, if you remember, Noah cursed Canaan. 
The land of the Canaanites were cursed under Noah, and God was going to fulfill that promise of them being cursed, and here they are. God's going to drive them out, we'll see. So God gives the covenant to Abraham. This is the covenant which Paul speaks about in Romans. He says it was given before circumcision. And now we see the covenant of circumcision. The cutting off of the foreskin of a man. Genesis 17, verse 15. And God said to Abram, As for Sarah, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come for her, come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Well, why did he say that? Remember, Abraham tried to help out God. Tried to speed up things. Let's go with Hagar. Well, it didn't work out. Because God said, from your body, from your body, Abraham, one will come. But God said, no. Sarah, your wife, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And this is when God met Abram at the tent. And then God says to Abram, shall I keep from Abraham, what I'm about to do. And as they walk, the Bible says they could see Sodom and Gomorrah, and he tells them that he's going to destroy these wicked cities in which Lot was living in. And Abram pleaded with God, 150, you know, downwards. And God sent his angels to try to rescue Lot. Lot wasn't really having much of it. So they were forcibly brought Lot and his daughters out of the city. And that whole sword story where they're living in the mountains and the daughters get them drunk and have kids with them in Moab and Ammon come out of it. It's, you know, I appreciate the Bible doesn't, doesn't you know, sugarcoat anything. It makes the point to let us know that man is indeed wicked. And that out of this there will be one perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Genesis 21, we see the birth of Isaac. God had kept his promise, because God is a promise keeper. God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. It says in Genesis chapter 21, The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And so Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time in which God had spoken to him. Don't you love the fact that they put that? At the time in which God had spoken to them. God is very specific. This time next year, you're going to have a child. And boom, it happened just as God said. Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac 
when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Remember when Sarah was first heard what God said he was going to do? She laughed at God. And God said, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. Now God has made her laughter. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Then the boy is growing up. And we know the story. That God says, hey, Abraham, I got a test for you. Look what it says in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Your only son. Wait, what about Ishmael? No, he's not the son of promise. Isaac is. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham argued with God. No. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he, Abraham, cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and work and will come to you again. The confidence of Abraham and the promise of God. Remember what God said about Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the land for burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a land for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham really believed that. He really believed that there would be one who would step in and redeem his son's life. And so they went, both of them together, when they came to the place in which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham was obedient. He was believing God right up to the last. Are we able to? Do I? Do you? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Remember, God didn't learn anything here. God didn't, oh, oh now I know you really fear me. This was a test for Abraham, not for God. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham took, went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is on this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
future. See here a picture of the future of Christ coming in, standing in our place. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the angel of the Lord called Abram a second time and said from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Remember what Hebrews tells us. Since he could find no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. When God says it, he means it, and he's going to follow through on it. Because you have done this and have not withheld your, own, your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And we see that there, jumping up ahead in time, that Sarah dies. That's in chapter 23. And Abraham, Abraham seeks to find for his son Isaac a wife. And we have Isaac and Rebekah. They come together. Abraham dies and he's buried in the cave of Machpelia. And Rebekah has children in her womb. Esau and Jacob. So what it says in Genesis chapter 25 verses 19 and 28. These are the generations of Isaac. Abram's, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel, the Aramean, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah's, Rebekah's wife conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Yeah, smart woman, where else are you going to go? Go to the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Well, we just got to jump forward many thousand years to Romans chapter 9. To understand what the older shall serve the younger means. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was six years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And we saw how that dysfunctional family with that attitude right there happened. It was just dysfunctional to the core. We know the story. Isaac tells his son, go out and hunt some food, some game for me that I love. And he goes out and he's searching for food. Rebecca hears and tells uh, uh, <coughs> Jacob, hey listen, I'm going to dress you up like your brother. I'm going to make you food. You go in there. We're going to deceive the old man. And we're going to, uh, uh, well, no, I'm jumping ahead of myself. And he comes out hungry. Esau comes back and he's hungry and he sees uh, Jacob uh, uh, cooking the food. And he says, give me the beans, the red stew. I want it. I'm about to die. 
Give me your birthright. Okay, have my birthright. Doesn't matter to me. I'm going to die. Gives him the food. And so he gets his birthright. Time goes on. Isaac's about to die. He's blind. A blind old man. And he tells Esau, go out in the field and hunt me tasty game of which I love. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We know the story. Rebecca uh, hears. She tells Jacob, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go and deceive an old blind man. And that's exactly what happens. Out of it, there's more enmity, more dysfunction within the family. Esau wants to kill Jacob. He's going to wait till his father passes. Wait until the time is right. And so Rebekah sends him away to her brother Laban. And on his way, Jacob goes to a place and he rests. And God appears to him in the form of a staircase to heaven. A ladder. We call it Jacob's ladder. Jesus refers to this when Nathaniel comes. And he tells him, who he is, a man in whom there's no guile, and says, how do you know me? And he says, oh, you shall see greater things. The angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. Of course, he goes, we know the story of Rachel and Leah. He works for all the years for Rachel and Leah. He's deceived. And you have Jacob and Laban. And then, finally, Joseph is born after many years. And that's it. Jacob's had enough. And in Genesis chapter 30, we read this. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, this is 12 now, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go out, that I may go for you know the service that I have given to you. And then God renames Jacob. He's already renamed Abraham, Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarai, Jacob to, will become Israel. There's only one other person in Scripture that I know that God has renamed, and that's Cephas to Peter. If there's anybody else, I don't know. Now he's going on his way, and it says in Genesis 35, Jacob is now the promised seed. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padamaram and blesses him, blessed him. And God said to him, and your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken from him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it, so Jacob called the name of the place where he had spoken from him, Bethel, which means the house of God. This was because he wrestled with God and prevailed. And then we have the story of Joseph. A very familiar story, of course. Joseph was growing up. Joseph, a little bit arrogant, 
goes and tells his brothers and his family about the dreams that he has. That the sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to him. That the sheaves of wheat are going to bow down to him. And their brothers are angry. And of course, the dysfunction that was from Jacob's family, he passes on to his family. He favors Joseph over all the others. Gives him that coat of many colors. This things aren't going well, right? Things are, things are just not tracking too well. And his brothers are out watching the sheep. And, and, and he says to them, hey, you go out there and check on your brothers. And they see him from a distance. And they say, you know what? Now's our chance. Let's kill him. We're going to kill him. We'll see what happens of his dreams. Of course, those dreams were from who? From God. No man was going to stop what God said was going to happen. And Reuben steps in. Says, let's throw him in a pit. Let's not do anything. Because his intention was to come and save him. And of course, he leaves. And they all come by the Ishmaelites, right? And the Midianites and the Ishmaelites. And they sell him off into Egypt. And they slaughter a goat. They dip his coat in the blood. And they lie to his dad. And they make his dad believe that he's been killed by a wild animal. Even the way they did it. Tell me, is this your son's robe? I mean, how cold can you be? And of course, for Jacob, he was never the same. He just never recovered. He does have another son, Benjamin. It gives him some sort of consolation, but not a whole lot. And so Joseph's in the land of Egypt. And you know, Joseph goes to Potiphar's house. If things weren't bad enough for Joseph already, his family, his, his brothers, hate him. They sold him. He's cut off from everything he knows into a land and a place in which he knows nothing about. But God still blesses him. Joseph is still a man of integrity. He does what God tells him to do. He acts in the manner in which God says he should act, even in the worst of circumstances. And this Potiphar loved Joseph. So this is, this is a good guy. And it says this in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, that is Joseph, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So diligent at his work, because he was working for the Lord, Joseph was, that Potiphar cared about nothing but the food that he ate. Can you imagine having a life so easy that all you have to worry about is the food you eat and not worry in a bad way? No, it's going to be there. Just, you know what, I want steak today. Make steak. I want, you know, fajitas today. I want whatever. He got what he wanted. The only decision he made was about his food. But it says this, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. Uh-oh. And she said, lie with me. And what was Joseph's response? All right, man, he's never going to know. No, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me. My master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything that he has in my charge. 
He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, he'd be sinning against Potiphar too, but he realizes that it'd be against God first and foremost. What does David say against you and you only have I sinned? Now, I sin against other people, but ultimately it's against God. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Remember, if we follow the timeline, Joseph would be in his sexual prime. Boy, how tempting it was for him, I'm sure, in many ways. But he said, no, I care about what God says. He could have abandoned his God. God, you let me be sold by my brothers. God, you abandoned me. No, he never did. He held fast to his faith. He didn't give up. Remember, we'd say the decision uh, for young people or anybody is not made in the, in the moment at the backseat of the car. It's made long before. And Joseph planted himself long before. Joseph was, in many ways, as we learned this morning, a, a Psalm 1 man. He chose not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners or sit in the seat of the scorners. And he is like a tree that is planted by streams of water. And we know the story. She tries one more time. He runs out. She grabs onto him, pulls his cloak off. And of course, she screams, makes a big deal, lies about it. Potiphar, interestingly enough, totally believes her and not Joseph. Joseph goes to jail. And in jail, and if you remember when we did this, uh, many, many years ago, 1996, when I was in Egypt, I remember looking around and asking the Torah God, I said, how come I don't see any jails? Because I saw a lot of jails in Israel. We came from Israel into Egypt. And I said, how come any jails? And he just looked at me, you don't want to go to jail here. I said, oh, okay. I mean, I was like, whoa. Um, I don't know what a prison was like back then. I am sure it was not pleasant. One of the prophets says that Joseph was actually in a neck chain. And Joseph was there and he finds favor. What does he do? He mopes and he moans and he complains and he gives up. No, he was faithful and he served. And what did the jailer do? Put him in charge of everything. And some new prisoners came in and they were there for a little bit. It says this, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Who were they? The cupbearer to Pharaoh and the baker for Pharaoh. And so he asked Pharaoh's officer who were with him in, in, in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? I'd be like, Joseph, what a stupid question. We're in prison. Why do you think my face is downcast? They said to him, we have had dreams and there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell me. And we see that Joseph knew the Lord. He knew who ran the universe. He knew who was in charge. And of course we'll see that later on in Daniel, when we get to Daniel. And so they tell him the dream, and we know the dreams. The one is, uh, you know, he's going to be lifted back up. The cupbearer, and the other ones, he's going to be lifted up, but lifted up in a way that his head comes off. And lo and behold, 
The cupbearer is lifted up to his position. It says, and two years later, Pharaoh has a dream and it troubles him. Pharaoh has a dream of grains of of healthy grains, kernels, and then seven of them, and seven sickly grains, and the seven sickly eat up the seven big, the good ones, and they have seven cows, sick cows, and seven good-looking cows, and the ugly cows eat the uh, uh, the good-looking cows, and he's troubled, and he doesn't know what to do. And finally, the cupbearer says, "I remember my sin. There's a man in prison. He can tell dreams, and so they clean up Joseph." To get them all ready. And it goes in front of Pharaoh. From the dungeon to the throne room. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who interpreted it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph in front of the most powerful man in the world, says, no, it's all about God. It's not about me. And of course, we know the seven skinny are years of famine, which will lead up the seven good years. There'll be seven good years and seven really bad years. And the year's going to be really bad. And so Joseph says, hey, this is what you should do. For these seven years, collect stuff. Store up so that in the seven bad, you'll be provided for. And of course, part, part, the, the, the Pharaoh is so pleased with Joseph and he makes him number two. Puts him number two in charge. And eventually, Pharaoh is concerned with nothing but what? The food that he eats. And the famine is great. It begins to affect the land of Israel. And Jacob sends his sons down. Of course, we know the story. We're not going to go over it all. And Joseph sees his brothers. He weeps. He can't handle it. He gives them the test, the silver cup, and all of those things. And eventually, he reveals himself. He brings his father down. His family is there. They settle in the land of Goshen. And eventually, Jacob dies. And in Genesis chapter 50, we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. No basis to believe that whatsoever. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us, these guys are still just liars. Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Key verse. One of the key verses of Genesis is this. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph understood who God was. 
that God has a purpose in all that he does. That he is indeed the God of providence. The God who sees and provides beforehand. He doesn't always in the way that we want. Uh, who would have, Joseph could have never known when he was first sent to Egypt that he would be the one that God would send ahead and provide for his people. To provide for who? The promised seed that would come from Jacob. They said, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so Genesis ends with the fact that God is the God who provides. That God is the God of history. That God's plan of a redeemer is going to happen no matter what man does. He will not thwart the plan of God. That even when things look really bad, and they can get really bad, we can have faith and confidence that God is the God of history. And he holds his people in his hand. And that will never change. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we are encouraged by the scriptures. That you're the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. You do not change. We thank you, God, that you hold our, our lives in your very hand. We thank you that we can trust you. For you are good and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so, Lord, help us to know. Help us to know that you really are working out all things for our good and for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. Thank you, Pastor. I'm glad that we've had such great examples in the Bible of men that, you know, foreshadowed what we would call they were types of Christ. Um, but ultimately, we have Christ, and I'm very grateful for that. So, we will sing all creatures of our God and care.
Thank you.